You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Simon and I'm JR and hey Merry Christmas everybody cheers 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 that's filled with Christmas cheer you can just tell can't you <laughs> filled with something two mugs of tea and a glass of water yeah is that the next one yeah coming soon from yeah. BBC Three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <clears throat> this is jazz this is the last time we'll record together before Christmas. And it's also the day before Doctor Who magazine appears on people's doorsteps. So our Christmas preview will not <laughs> be able to take anything from Doctor Who magazine. So everything you hear for the next 60 minutes will be both wrong and obsolete. But Doctor Who magazine tends to spoil. It spoils madly. Everything. So you don't want to read the Doctor Who magazine until after Christmas Day. Now, last series, it was giving all sorts of stuff yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't usually give as much away as it did, but it... Anyway, we don't, mm. we won't be giving anything away because we don't know anything. Yeah. I've only even seen the trailer once, and that was playing in the corner of the room with lots of people talking over it. <laughs> Although I did notice that the regeneration appeared at the end of the trailer. I've seen did it? it? I've seen it yeah. first. Yeah, I missed that. Mm. Did it? Mm. Oh. Yeah. I must have watched the wrong trailer. <clears throat> oh. Well, that's Capaldi alone in the TARDIS, by the look of it, judging by the shot. Okay. But it's a standing up regeneration. This is assuming that it is the regeneration. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. Well, you know what trailers are like. They can... Uh... Yeah. But it very much did look like it was the regeneration. Traders can create a meta-narrative, as we've uh, discovered. Well, no, as you tried to convince us. We all know what Mr. Muffet likes to do with regenerations. <laughs> or not. Well, yeah. Well, mm. we've already, yeah. well, we've already seen what the regeneration has been caused by, haven't we? So, oh, yes. okay, look, let me read the little blurb for the episode. So what's the top ten this week? No, oh, we're out of top tens oh, now. Oh, no. Oh, well. So, what do we do? Yes, we've got Sorry, the top ten of top tens this <laughs> oh, yeah. week, Matt. Oh, God. No. You forgot that, didn't yeah. you? Also, that later on this episode, I will be doing a film review. I will trail it now. Because people will say, Oh, I have to wait to the end of the podcast to hear the review of that. This week, I watched... <laughs> Are you ready for this? No, I can guess what it is. You know what it is. I think I know what it is. The Emoji yeah. Movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Have you? Yeah. Okay, well, have you chat seen, at the end. You've yeah. seen the Emoji Movie? Uh-huh. Or you, not just so. really. I survived. Did you go People as, kids, like, a, a challenge? I went Did on my own. No, I didn't. I went, People you went on your kids, own? No, I didn't. My okay. youngest daughter desperately okay. wanted to see it. It was one of those where she wanted to see it so bad and she made faces when Did, I said it, but I don't want to watch it, sweetheart. Did you also see Paddington 2 with her? I haven't seen that yet, no. I've been waiting to watch that with my eldest daughter, okay. only to be told that she's already seen it. Oh, really? Yeah, she's oh. going to watch it this week. So she's going to bloody well watch it twice. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Or oh, you'll just wait for the Blu-ray. 
No, we're going to go uh, as a family. Uh, yes. Okay. We went as a family for the first one. Yeah. I think it's one of those few films we can. Was it still in the pictures? It'll I be think somewhere. it's still number one. Until, oh, is it? Until tomorrow. There's a couple of little... Actually, where my my daughter has... I don't know why I'm mentioning motioning with my thumb, because the yeah. listeners can't. But anyway, um, where my daughter has dance classes... I'm motioning with my finger now. You are, yeah. Good for you. Um, <laughs> which has a dance classes. They have like a little cinema thing, so I might see it in something like mm. that. Mm-hmm. Parochial little hall. Nice. Oh, that would be nice, yeah. Right, on to Doctor Who, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> the... Little blurb for the Christmas special. The magical final chapter of the Twelfth Doctor's journey sees the Time Lord team up with his former self, the first ever Doctor, David Bradley. (laughs) And a returning Bill Potts for one last adventure. Did you see what they did there? I'm judging by a reaction that you did. Mm. Well, the first Doctor has been played by David Bradley. Yeah, it's a character. Exactly. <clears throat> they should have said played by David Bradley. Well, I think to make it clear that David Bradley isn't the first ever Doctor, but that's the first ever Doctor played by him, it doesn't matter. I think we'll come to that. that. I yeah. think your, your voice in the inner monologue of a multitude of fans reading yes. that. Yeah. yeah. And we'll certainly come to that. Two Doctors stranded in an Arctic snowscape, refusing to face regeneration. Enchanted glass people stealing their victims from frozen time, and a World War I captain destined to die on the battlefield, but taken from the trenches to play his part in the Doctor's story. An uplifting new tale about the power of hope in humanity's darkest hours. Twice upon a time marks the end of an era, but as the Doctor must face his past to decide his future, his journey is only just beginning. And there you go. With uh, written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Rachel Talalay, executive produced by Brian Minchin, star- guest starring Mark Gatiss as the captain, whose name has not been revealed, and Nikki Amuka Bird as the voice of the Glass Woman, and we'll see Peter Capaldi's Doctor regenerate into the thirteenth Doctor, Jodie Whittaker. All right, let's start with the simple stuff: Glass People, Frozen Time. Glass people again. So we had ice people which in the snowmen. Mm-hmm. So that's presumably it would be. Well, maybe they'll do it differently. But it feels it's like it's in the trailer. Oh, really? Does it look like the ice person from. Not really. Snowman? Okay. They Just looks like a person, but sort of transparent and glass. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I can go with that. Simon's. Mm, I've not seen, seen a picture. No. Okay. Well, there's just one shot in the trailer of uh, the head of a glass person, but it just looked like a person, but made okay. out of glass, really, from okay. what I saw. Right. Okay. Frozen Time, though, this is one of those, or well, it looks like it's going to be one of those, well, it's a sort of classic sci fi thing, really, isn't it? What happens when you suddenly realise that you're the only person who's still moving and everybody else is frozen looks like it's mm-hmm. going to be one of those types of things mm. yeah um from frozen time suggests that there's going to be possibly not necessarily a paradox element but some kind of time element stephen moffat writing suggests there's going to be some sort of time <laughs> element doesn't always necessarily have to be the case no no but true. uh i it's his very last doctor who right yeah 
It's one he wasn't planning on writing, even more so than he wasn't planning on writing series 10. So, given that his big successes have been things like Blink, then you kind of assume that there'll be a time paradox element in it. Otherwise, it would, wouldn't feel like Stephen Moffat going out on a Stephen Moffat story. Mm. Frozen, the frozen time idea also works quite well because that's exactly what the doctors are doing. Trying, trying to freeze, to freeze time, time yeah. and stop themselves from progressing. <clears throat> Which is kind of what the doctors shouldn't do. So the doctors should always be like looking forward. But that's probably the, the learning curve. That's the wonderful life learning curve. That well, we've said all along. Progression should happen. That this episode looks like it's a case of the 12th Doctor saying, I've had enough of regenerating this time, I'll stop it and I'll just die. Like the Master did in um, Last of the Time Lords, right? Yeah. So then along comes the first Doctor. There's an interesting quote here, I'm going to read it. This is from, I've got some quotes from the Radio Times interview that Stephen Moffat did about a week ago as we record. Because up until the time of recording, that's about the only information we had. And actually, it's not really information about story things that happen, necessarily, so much as just Stephen Moffat's influences in writing it. So I thought it was fair game, and it's not really spoilery territory. So anybody who's listening don't necessarily need to turn off. But it's an interview with Patrick Mulkern, who gave Stephen Moffat the scripts for The Tenth Planet from which Stephen Moffat was obviously taking bits and pieces. And Mulkern says, Were the Tenth Planet scripts I gave you useful? And Moffat replies, Yes, they were. We don't use all that much in the finished show, and the trouble is, most of the actors didn't stick rigidly to the script anyway. Michael Craze and Annika Wills improvised a lot of it, and it's better. As you know, he says, and this is the important part, in the original script, there's a line they dropped where the Doctor is resisting his regeneration. <laughs> it's currently in the special, but we might drop it because it makes it slightly different from the scene at the end of The Doctor Falls as it was shown. Now, I'm assuming in that sentence he says there's a line they dropped, not a line we dropped. So he's not talking about a line that was dropped from the script of The Doctor Falls, but he is talking about a line that was dropped from The Tenth Planet there. Mm where the first Doctor is resisting his first regeneration, which, <coughs> as far as I'm concerned, completely legitimises Twice Upon a Time and any concerns that any fans might have about Stephen Moffat retconning the first Doctor not wanting to regenerate, mm. right? Yeah. <coughs> There's an interesting thing here. So, it's about frozen time. It's about the Doctor not wanting to regenerate and not wanting to progress and not wanting to change. And so, and we know that he is going to change and he's going to change quite dramatically this time. And we know that there are some corners of fandom that don't want the Doctor to change, don't want the Doctor to regenerate, and some ways would rather the Doctor died rather yeah. than regenerate. So this whole story... But for could, some people, Doctor Who is dead. Yeah, exactly. So this story could be not just about the Doctor realising that change is good and that he has to change in order to survive and progress, but also telling fans mm. in a certain quarter that this well, is the truth. So <clears throat> making a case, the whole thing is making a case for Jodie Whittaker. And in a metatextual kind of a way, that's mirrored in the story itself because it looks like 
you know, and we've said it many times, it looks like the story here is going to be <clears throat> that the 12th Doctor learns from the 1st and the 1st from the 12th. Hmm. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, and I think Clara's going to turn up for a cameo and she'll be going off back to Trap Street and that will be the impetus that they both, the final push they both need to go off and do the thing they've got to do. So, well, the, the <clears> moment <throat> you mentioned about frozen time, I immediately thought it sounds like Face of Raven. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's all coming home to roost. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, so it's all about lessons and all about resisting change and eventually giving in to change, right? Yeah, <coughs> nothing says Christmas like <laughs> like two major characters dying. Have you ever watched things like EastEnders at Christmas? I've watched, no, no, I haven't. <laughs> because, somebody always because somebody dies always dies. Yeah. <laughs> that program. That's what people look forward to. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that everybody bangs on about in the sort of circles that our Facebook timelines move in is the Christmas ghost stories. Mm. And yet, people also watch Mrs. Brown's Boys, and yet nobody dies in that. Unfortunately, apart from <laughs> comedy. Apart from com- comedy. Um, Why do people... Anyway. Is it snobbish not to like Mrs. Brown Boys? Yeah. Well, we're made to believe thing? that way, yeah. Okay. But it's not very funny. I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. Am I just not guessing you, it? You know it and I Am know I not it. buying into it or am I just not... I don't like, know. Okay. I don't know. I'm... No, but I disagree. It's, it's funny. Oh, it's funny. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't especially like it, but I've seen enough of it. The to bits know that, that made me laugh have been the bits where the. Oh, you've just said it's not funny, and no, now no, you've said it's on. made you laugh. No, there was there's some bits I've seen where it's the unscripted bits where it goes right. wrong a bit. So there is a natural <clears throat> comedy, but that's nothing to do with. So script. you're saying there are, there are funny bits, but it's not funny enough to justify it being the most popular. Oh no, program at Christmas. Not. Definitely not. Right. But I do understand why it's popular. Yeah, it's not a million miles away from things like Father Ted. It's that the comedy is. In the absurdity and in the characters and in the breaking the fourth wall. Um, oh, I don't Simon's know I struggling agree. with I'm his st- conscience. No, I'm struggling. No, no, I'm a conscience. Just no, I don't think. I think they're different animals. I, I, pre- I, I know where you're coming from with it, but I think Father Ted has a a quirkiness and a I don't know. Mrs. Brown's voice pretty quirky, but there's a very there's a very distinct voice to Father Ted, the sort of Linham and Matthews voice that you can also see there's in the a, IT crowd. Yeah, so you can always tell when they've voice they've written it. Yes. Mrs. Brown's voice yeah, as it's, well. It's slightly odd. It's got I'd say it's got more in common with the League of Gentlemen than it has Mrs. Brown's voice. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Father Ted. Mm. I don't think Mrs. For all the snobbery that surrounds it, I don't think Mrs. Brown's Boys is a million miles away from either of those things. It's a, it, it's not. Father Ted and especially the League of Gentlemen have their inspiration more in sort of cult stroke genre stuff, mm, especially mm. the League of Gentlemen. Mm. And Mrs. Brown's Boys doesn't. And Mrs. Brown's Boys is way closer to things like League of Gentlemen and Father I Ted. Think- than it is to things like It Ain't Half Hot Mum and Heidi High. I think where it puts me off is where it differs from Father Ted. It's it's filmed in front of a studio audience. Yeah. And that makes it feel 
old fashioned, which is distracting. Mm. But, but also, but also, I just don't find mm. the jokes in it funny. But I, that's you know fu- that's it fine. Maybe but... a snobbery because it, it, the other comedies, not Mrs. Brown Boys, feel feel kind of knowing. They're yeah. very aware, self aware, mm. um, maybe more contrived in that respect. Yeah, Mrs. Brown's so, Boys isn't self aware except for in where it deliberately breaks the fourth wall mm. and where the guy who plays Mrs. Brown. Will corpse in the middle of a scene, and they'll just use that take. But in that sense, it yeah, is. that's yeah. In that sense, it is. And it's, it's a it's dangerous, a dangerous word yeah. to use. It's pantomime, and it's a dangerous word to use. But pantomime in the sense that it's it's television that move, that interacts with the audience, that brings the audience in. <clears throat> um, but I still don't find it very funny. So. Okay, yeah. but I mean, well, you know, I'm snobbish about Hollyoaks. Well, it's yeah. probably the same thing. You know. Hollyoaks is brilliant for what it is. And I, I think Mrs. Brown's Boys is probably also brilliant for what it is. It's, mm. it's a case of taste, mm, yeah. not a case of quality. I, I think maybe the issue is that we would rather it wasn't more popular. That's maybe we think it's kind oh, yeah, of undeserving. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying yeah, I'm, then I'm you not look making at... a, a quality. A quant- a qualitative judgment on it mm. and making a taste judgment on it. The, the thing about popularity, though, is popularity tends to be things that appeal to like lots of people because they offend the fewest. Mm. So people who have um, a narrower band of taste will tend to find things that are outside that band of things that... I mean, let's face it, none of us here, our favourite band is like Oasis, right? Mm. Mm. And... Yeah, Oasis. Uh, Oasis are the Mrs. Brown's boys of <laughs> rock, right? Unfortunately, that's also the argument for Donald Trump's popularity. I would, you know what? I was just thinking that. I mean, that's the thing, Mrs. Brown's boys, as far as I'm aware, it's not racist in any way. No. It's not offensive in any way. Some people say it's offensive to their intelligence, but I mean, again, that's a kind of a no, snobbery thing again. I don't think it's unclever. I think it is quite clever. Mm. I've seen, I've seen probably more than both of you two put together. I've not seen a great deal, but I can imagine from the way you're talking, you've probably not seen a huge amount. Well, no, because we didn't enjoy it, yeah. Mm. I've seen both of the first two series, I think. No, I completely take your point. Um, I mean, it's popular enough to make the cast so much money that they've had to launder it through (laughs) the Cayman Islands. Oh, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I have no criticisms of people who do that. It's the in, laws, in, the legal in, loopholes, in fairness, and the lawyers. In fairness to them, if I, them. if I had a shed ton of money, the first thing I would do is give it to an accountant and say, where should I put this money? Yeah. And, if, and if they told me there's this scheme, here's where you sign, I might not remember to say, is it ethical? I might just go, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And sign them. Well, your question wouldn't be... I'd you... like to think I would say, is it ethical? Mm. Well, your first but, question would be, if you were to ask that question, is it legal, not is it ethical? Yeah. I think, the, the well, I think what you do is you'd assume it's legal because you're paying accountants to do it. So the accountants would have a presumption of legality. You'd which ask, means, is this ethical? No, which means you wouldn't ask the question. And therefore, right. I don't think necessarily the second question would raise itself. Yeah. Let's face it, if you had a shed load of money, mm. then ethics is probably the last thing on your mind. <laughs> Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'd, I don't like, know. To, I'd yeah. like to think that if I won the lottery, I would try to be ethical about it. Well, there, there, is, a, there is a school of thought that says that it's only the people with enough money to mm. be ethical about it. Yeah, that's true. 
but they're not probably not ethical about all of it. Mm. No, and going back to the the yeah, we've gone down a rabbit hole. We, well, we've been down at least two <laughs> rabbit holes, if not more. <laughs> um, do you no, want to I'm, get, I'm, I'm happy to put my hand up and say I'm probably a snob, and I always have been. Oh, just, just like I'm still oh, snobbish about up on it. I've pulled you up on it on this podcast before. Yeah, yeah, I am a snob. Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> I could I could say I'll join you, but I'm just going to keep quiet. <laughs> I, I just say to each their own. And, yeah, yeah. And as I say, if it doesn't if, if it doesn't harm me, just go ahead and absolutely. enjoy it. It's hardly the Trump of comedy, is it? No, no. Trump is the Trump of comedy. He is. Yeah. But if you ever see an interview with um, what's he called Brendan Carroll, the guy who play, I think mm. it's Brendan Carroll, the guy who plays Mrs. Brown. Yeah, it's a nice chap. Yeah, he's a lovely chap and intelligent, and he knows what he's doing. And I don't know if you're aware, this comedy existed in Ireland before on Irish TV. And then when he came over to Britain, instead of just showing the Irish episodes, they actually remade it from scratch, but with the same scripts. And all the actors are in it. I mean, you say there's a script, but I get the impression that the script is just a guideline. And it's a case of when they get out in front of the audience, as long as they know where each of the scenes is going, they'll let stuff take them where it will. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong about the amount of improvisation, but you watch it and it does look as if there's a fair amount. It's really loose. Actually, it reminded me in a big way of um, probably the physicality of it as the um, Reeves and Mortimer series. Okay. What was the... Oh, Smell of Reason Water? No. Oh, um, Big Night Now? No. Um, no, it's more recent. Uh, the, the, Where it was done in front yeah, of the yeah, studio yeah. audience, yeah. wasn't the it? House of Fools? House of Fools. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Was that a scripted one or a panel sort of type? No, no, it's it's reason, sketch. It's reasonably scripted, wouldn't it? Yeah, but a Reason Mortimer scripted one. So yeah. I suspect it's tightly scripted, but like Eddie is art, the sort of their shtick is to make scripted comedy sound improvised. Yeah. Mm. Should we go back to Doctor Who then? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> hey, it's Christmas episode. Rabbit holes. We've only got about three minutes worth of material on Doctor and, Who anyway. And we've been drinking quite heavily. Well, obviously. I was going to I was gonna find the quote about... Um, yeah, that's not it. There's so many quotes here. Let's <laughs> go just home. go through Let's them. Go in home. The, <laughs> let's just go through them in the order that they come up. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, okay, let's do it. These are things that Stephen Moffat has said. And we've already talked about some of them, but we ended the last series with Peter Capaldi's 12th Doctor about to regenerate and refusing. He's had enough of becoming other people, a subject he expands on in the special. He's having a strop. In a wintry landscape, he meets the first Doctor, who is also refusing to change. Well, we've already pretty much covered that, haven't we? Mm -hmm. But, I, I mean, one of the things is... This is... We've not really... I mean, we've said it, but we've not really discussed it. Stephen Moffat was intending the end of The Doctor Falls to be the regeneration. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly realises he's got another episode. There's been this big argument about whether um, the BBC, instead of putting out the Series 10 box set in time for Christmas, should have saved it till next year and stuck twice upon a time on it so that it doesn't become like an orphan Blu-ray stroke DVD. Mm. Um, my answer to that is it's not part of series 10 if it's orphaned because of the way the chips have fallen then so be it but it's mm. not that it's not gonna it's gonna die because of it day the doctor's sitting on my shelf 
in its own unique. Oh, that's only because you didn't buy the box set when it came out. Oh, I did as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, okay. I've got a deep breath and a Christmas carol as well. Yeah. Separate from the well, box set. Well, no, I'm just saying. This will be the only one that's not in a box set. Mm. <clears throat> but, you know, so be it. That's the way it's fallen. Because yeah, they're unlikely to tag it onto um, Jodie Whittaker's first box set, are they? But, and we talked about whether it was a three-parter, but this was written after the other two episodes had been written. They had to change the ending of the other two episodes so that they could squeeze an extra episode in. So, essentially... Although this follows on from what happens in the last two episodes, it's not so much a three-parter as a two-parter and a sequel, stroke coda, stroke whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So I don't even know whether there'll be any sort of thematic link beyond the, here's the regeneration and here's what he's doing to stave it off. Because... Although he was doing that through The Doctor Falls, that wasn't really one of the themes of the episode. The themes of the episode were death, dying, separation, not putting those things off, not fighting those things. Survival. I don't think it was survival. I think it was the end of survival. Well, the the characters struggling to survive by, by moving through this spaceship. But, and changing the location. Oh, so but, Simon, Simon's whole existence is yeah. about surviving. Yeah. yeah, but I'd say that was the premise of the episode, but the actual theme of the episode was the end of that survival and the destinations. I would say that survival was just the premise mm. and everything else about that episode was about what comes afterwards. It starts with dead bodies getting, essentially, it starts with dead bodies getting up, you know, the the sort of zombie attack on the village with the scarecrows. Mm. But right from that point, it's about making those people dead again. And throughout the rest of it, the pall of everybody's going to die in this episode, hung over that episode. Mm. It was was an episode about endings. Isn't there a case, though, that the, the the first of the two, and I can't remember what the, what the two episodes are called. World Enough and Time, The yes. Doctor Falls. So World Enough and Time was about the, the deepest part of this spaceship, where basically people had just stayed and stagnated, and they'd there was an industrial revolution, then they started cybernising themselves. So that's that episode was about what happens when people don't change, they don't move through the spaceship, they just stay in one place. The second episode was about, again, what happens if they stay, they're in danger. So they have to move away from this beautiful, like, paddocky place and break through to the next level and then break through to the next level. So there is a constant theme of, of if you stay in this place, you will die. So the theme is death, but it's also about how to get away from it or the, the desire to get away from it. But I think that's death. the premise of it rather than theme of it. <clears throat> What's the difference? I mean... Well, a premise is where you start. A theme is where you take it. But I think the whole the whole episode was about these characters trying to move away from the incoming death. They were trying to escape. Yeah, but they are. So yes, that is, but that is the ongoing theme throughout the episode. Is well, no, trying it's to not move. a theme. The premise of the first of the two parts was death and characters staying in the same place because that's what that's what um, Bill did. 
So she was trapped in the same place, and then she effectively but, died. Well, the second, no. episode, the second episode was mobile. No, Bill effectively died before she got trapped in that place, and while she was in that place, it was the story of her surviving through being rebuilt. Right. So the theme of that, therefore, becomes stay in the same place and survive. But survive as a Cyberman, which is a form of death. Well, I mean, still cy- surviving. Cyber- Cybermen are equated with death in Doctor Who. Um, death through through only the, when you're telling the story sort of, of what the Cybermen do to people that they don't change into Cybermen. But the story of the Cybermen is the story of surviving death by right. rebuilding yourself to turn yourself into an immortal. It's the story of how you're trying to survive death by turning yourself into a Cyberman, but actually you die in the course of doing it. You well, lose. You, you lose your soul. Yes, but so that's you not die. death. But I think the story of the Cybermen is... No, the story of is, the Cybermen told from an external perspective is death, but the story of the Cybermen told from the Cybermen's perspective yes, is surviving death. But, but none of the viewers are Cybermen, so it's always going to be told from an external perspective. No, but the so perspective we, character in World Enough and Time is Bill, and she survives being killed. She's killed in the first ten minutes of that episode, and she survives it. I think and the, the, story, the story of Cybermen is always about death. There's an irony with Cybermen that they think they're surviving, but actually they've already killed themselves. They think they're repairing. They think it's a medical, a medical procedure to help them survive, but they're dead. They're always dead. That's why. That's why it worked in Dark Water because they're bringing. Well, okay, they're effectively you're splitting zombies. hairs there. Well, no, I'm talking about how it's the, the theme in the first episode is... It's, it's an interesting premise, actually, that Bill basically exists as a ghost. Yeah, yeah. In that story. Yeah. But and exists. Literally, because you can see But her. exists, yeah. And she still has her soul, because she's self-aware. So what, probably J.R. and I are both right at the same time, because it's about so. survival and death, <laughs> which, is what, my... which is what ghosts are. Me being the natural mediator, yeah. I'm saying you're both right. Yeah. Yeah. And which, which in fact is what is potentially going to happen in this this world and not world. If enough time, time freezes and if time freezes, both then doctors yeah. holding off a regeneration, yeah. they're both in, in flux. Then it's they? about survival and it's death at the same time. It's about trying to maintain your current state and not die, but mm. recognize, but also recognizing that through through death you mm. come comes rebirth and survival. We're back to grief again, aren't we? I thought we were back to Christ. <laughs> but that, maybe that's an Easter story. Uh, for those two. <clears throat> well, it always happens at Christmas these days anyway, yeah. doesn't it? Um, Patrick Mulkern asks Moffat, how can the Doctor put his regeneration on hold? And Stephen Moffat says, we're going with the idea that it is at some level voluntary. Remember the John Sim Master refused to regenerate at the end of Last of the Time Lords. So you have to commit and choose to change rather than die. And it, in fact, it's also about saying goodbye, isn't it? Which would be completely appropriate for this story. In what way? <clears throat> in, in as much as accepting change and accepting death mm. in order to allow things to move on is, yeah. is, is a yeah. case of accepting. Loss. I know it will be literal goodbyes. There always are in regeneration yeah, stories. So we know we're getting Bill parts. And chances are we'll have at least something of Clara. So mm. what this actually is, is that... that David single David Tennant line. I don't want to. I don't want to go stretched over, over an entire episode, and then looking at the implications of that. Well, this is what Stephen Moffat what does. If they, he doesn't want to go. 
Well, this is what Stephen Moffat does. He takes things that RTD threw away, for want of a better expression, and he I mean, says, well, what if he didn't throw yeah. it away? What if he thought about it and made a story of it? And Stephen yeah. Moffat's been doing that for the last seven years. Although RTD didn't throw away that line, that line's still a really powerful... For me, that's a powerful line. Mm. But, that, I mean, with with that episode, it was sort of complicated because I, I always got the impression that RTD and David Tennant weren't telling the story of that doctor's death. They were telling the story of David Tennant leaving and Russell T. Davis leaving. So that whole extended coda was Russell T. Davis saying goodbye rather than us saying goodbye to the tense doctor. So I never felt that that was a tense doctor's <clears throat> final story. I felt that that was... David Tennant but you're just talking about the coda rather than the story. The coda, but also the well, yeah, maybe the story, but also the coda and the the regeneration scene. I mean, I really like the regeneration scene, but it still felt like it was David Tennant not wanting to leave, but recognizing that he did. Whereas with this, David Tennant chose to go though. He did, but I'd imagine with someone like David Tennant, there's this kind of pull, there's kind of push and pull. Of not wanting a bit like Matt Smith. Do you think three series over four years is long enough? I was listening to the last flight through entirety today, and one of them, Richard, said uh, he thinks that the doctors in the new series go too quickly, but the average in the new series is at least as good as the average in the classic series. Mm, mm. And he said one of the, and they talked about it just briefly, and one of them said, and one of the things about it is three years three series was enough in the 60s because there were so many more stories. But that didn't take into account the fact that in a series these days you get ten stories as opposed to the eight you had then. So although they may have had more episodes, actually the modern Doctors are having more stories. I I would be interested to know of the ages of the people who say that. Oh, they're the same age as us. So I think there's there's an illusion. Time flies faster when you're older anyway. But it's not just about that. It's about... Like, John Pertwee has always been the Doctor. So, throughout my life, he's always been the Doctor because we can go back mm. to him. So, with, dis- yeah, yeah. with distance comes almost, like, immortality. Mm. But I'd imagine when you're watching him, the John Pertwee years would have just passed in a flash. Mm. And you'd probably be saying the same thing, although he was in that for slightly longer. Um, Tom, ba- if, Tom Baker is probably Tom Baker the thing that, yeah. Yeah, is the thing that skewed matters. But even then, I mean, seven years would have just been like... Mm. So it's possibly because they're old archive doctors now. I think there's a distinction between archive doctors and living memory doctors. Not to <laughs> not to um, well, yeah. depress people that can remember. <clears throat> and the other but... thing with the Tom Baker thing, where it skews your opinion of it, is the fact that, you know, certainly for our age, me, I think I was three or four when he became the doctor. So yeah. you were sort of in 11, 12. Yeah. I was ten I was or eleven, young. so yeah. it would have felt like the whole of my childhood. Mm. Yeah, it's like that. Well, the whole oh, of yeah. my childhood was covered it's by like, Tom Baker. It's so. like Thatcher. It felt that Thatcher and Reagan were basically in charge of the world for eternity mm. when I when I grew up, mm. and now it's just like prime ministers and thank God. Well, you look at Tony Blair, and go Tony like Blair, lightning. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tony Blair was there for as long as Thatcher, but it still feels like. Yeah, he was he was there and well, then not there. <clears throat> eight years when you're ten is eighty percent of your life. Eight years when you're a hundred is eight percent of your life. Mm. Yeah, mm. I mean there is a bit, of, there is an element of that, but it's also about it's about the difference between things in the past, things now 
things in the yeah. past. Well, things that John Birdie right became the Doctor forty-five years ago. Yeah, and so. Yeah. Or 47 years ago. Yeah. <clears throat> so John Pertwee has been Doctor Who for 47 yes. years. Yeah. You realise how Tom compressed Baker that early is, period is. It really yeah. is, isn't it? And yeah. Tom so Baker's much. been Doctor Who for 42 years. Yes. And Peter Capaldi's been Doctor Who for four years. Yeah. Which means he's been Doctor Who for 10% of the time that John Pertwee has, even though he recorded twice as many yeah. stories and more or less the same sort and of number is, of episodes. And it is feeling a bit like this to me with when I think back... Oddly, with Matt Smith more than David Tennant, I think Matt Smith was the Doctor for for ages. It, it felt like a, it feels like an era. I wouldn't yet think <clears throat> of the Capaldi era. I think of the Tennant era and the Matt Smith era, and this feels it's starting to feel like that mm. for me. I think. Well, by the time Capaldi goes, he Smith and Tennant will each have done three series across four years, yeah. almost exactly the same. Yeah. So. Um, and to me, that seems like a good length. Yeah. Oh, it's particularly with Capaldi because he just... He told a story. And he's getting older as well. Well, that, that has to also be the true. point where mm. you just can't... You just can't do it. Yeah. Well, he'd be yeah, poodle standard yeah. by the next yeah. series, wouldn't he? Well, <laughs> yeah. I was going to make a really terrible joke then, but I shan't. <clears throat> we wouldn't have needed a woman doctor if we'd have just carried on. Oh dear. Oh dear. It was a terrible oh joke. All that talk about Mrs. Brown's boys. Probably. Yeah. Um, so that's what comes of watching it, Matt. So. Yeah, but see, that was more of a John Pertwee joke, because I've always considered John Pertwee the first woman doctor. There is element there are elements to that. Margaret Rutherford. Yeah. And him dressing as a as a cleaning Wash lady. Woman. He is he is is he the only doctor who was ever cross dressed. Yeah. Who was dragged up. No. Patrick Trout in Highlanders. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was happening all the time in the sixties and seventies. But are there any others? <clears throat> I don't think so. I'm not sure. I wouldn't swear to it. Okay. But there's a deleted this. scene from Robot, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um Stephen Moffat continues The Christmas special starts with the reprise of the Tenth Planet. We do the previously on Doctor Who and follow the first Doctor out of that adventure, having left his companions Ben and Polly behind. So then is the Twelfth Doctor telling the first that he has to regenerate and realising he must as well. This is the moment where he decides whether or not to go on. And it will mark the only time that David Bradley has ever played a younger version of Jodie Whittaker. (laughs) Um... <clears throat> well, we said that ages ago. I think that came from one of our listeners who wrote in, who said, I wonder if it'll be a previously on, or something like that. Hmm. And yeah, we said, didn't we? That's the best way. We know that we knew that they had done some bits from the 10th planet, and I said the only way they could really fit in the episode is either via flashback, or if they do previously on, and do it from the first Doctor's, first doctor's perspective, and according to Stephen Moffat, that's what they have done. I'm guessing, therefore, that beyond the previously on bit, we won't see Ben and Polly again. Right. Probably not in the entire episode. Mm. Because when Bradley, uh, when the first Doctor goes back to his TARDIS, he regenerates alone before they join him. So unless we get a short scene of them, at the end of the Tenth Planet, mm. the Doctor regenerates on his own. Then Ben and Polly come in and say, what have you done with the Doctor? He sits up at the start of Power of the Daleks and says, I am the Doctor. For some reason I've got it in my head that they're around him when he changes. 
Yeah, are they? I'm sure they're not. Oh, oh I have to look back. I've got a vague memory of that, but he definitely goes into the TARDIS alone. Oh, maybe they walk no, in no, just they before are it changes. They are yeah. Yes, but he walk, He returns to the TARDIS alone. Yeah, yeah. Either way, yes. There's no reason to see Ben and Polly in between the previously on bit at the start no. and then possibly at the end, depending on what they show of. David Bradley at the end, whether they'd probably be a distraction if they had if they're in too much. I mean, you've got you've already got Bill, you've got the two doctors, you've got Mark Gatiss. It's sort of mm. yeah, but I mean that's just three a bit, characters. A bit course, streamlined. The other thing is whether they show whether they show Hartwell's regeneration because mm. if he's laying down and they use the new effect, he'll shoot across the floor, won't he? <laughs> I've always thought that. I would guess it'll probably the fade to white is probably what will happen. I reckon. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say I would guess that they'll get as far as him lying down on the floor, and then maybe just discreetly cut away, and you just see Rear Shearsmith. <laughs> Shearsmith. Yeah. So it's a bit like so the, the it's going to be a bit like an extended version of the opening of Day of the Doctor, where you sort of see an unearthly child briefly. And then it goes to oh, colour. There is a so quote about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Further down. Um, I've got this all written. Too small and I'm wearing my glasses. And uh, okay. Let's just carry on and we'll get to that okay. in a minute. Um, <clears throat> well, I was going to point this out, actually. This is a kid series. And it's about two blokes. One of whom is in his mid-60s. The other one's in his mid-70s as the two lead characters. Mm -hmm. And even the third character in it, Mark Gators, is in like his mid-50s or whatever. Mm. Not really what you'd imagine for a... uh, Patrick says, it's not just about two old men dying. You're making this one more comedic and fun. Moffat says, yes, we got to a very dark and angsty place at the end of the last series. This is Christmas Day, so we're not going to have an hour of two suicidal doctors. That's not appropriate (laughs) for Christmas Day or Doctor Who. There's a tradition. Oh, this is interesting. There's a tradition of the doctors being funny when they get together. When doctors meet, it's a laugh. And I suppose at the back of my mind, I've known for ages the next doctor was going to be a woman, although I didn't know which woman. So I was thinking... Why does he subconsciously make that choice? Maybe seeing the whole span of his life as a man, seeing himself as the Hartnell Doctor, might make him think maybe it's time to be a bit more progressive. Looking at how the first Doctor was, he's hilariously not progressive. Mm. And there's a slight bit of the sort of meta text coming in here, because... Oh, and he carries on, actually, without being too outrageous... I think we have recreated that version of Hartnell's Doctor with all of the 1960s political incorrectness in place. At the same time, the original Doctor has a lot of fun at the expense of the modern one's sonic glasses and electric guitar. (laughs) There's something funny about the 12th Doctor realising that he came from this politically incorrect, funny old man. This is who he was. So you're going to say that... This isn't the the doctor that they're characterising. It's the perception of Hartnell rather than the doctor. Um, yes, but only I would say they're characterising slightly based on the reputation of yes, Hartnell, yeah. but also the first doctor who was this patrician character, mm. but also the time because this was pre summer yeah, of yeah. love nineteen sixties. Yes, so I guess in the rolling all three things up. Into the character, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I have seen, I have seen, sort of disgruntlement that the first Doctor wasn't 
a particularly sexist. I mean, he's, he, didn't, he never reached Pertwee levels of of patronising, and then presenting evidence where he's he's sort mm. of fairly progressive, which is I think is fair. But I think you're right that this is drawing on different elements that aren't just with the first. Well, time. I said about um, something came up on the internet about time crash the other day, and somebody <coughs> said. Well, it was nice to see Peter Davison, but he wasn't playing the Fifth Doctor. The Fifth Doctor was never tetchy like this. And I was thinking, well, the Fifth Doctor was quite often tetchy. Yeah, he was. But, you know, when you watch an episode, a story rather, that lasts 100 minutes, he's not going to be tetchy throughout the entire 100 minutes. But he might spend five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there being tetchy. Yeah. Time Crash, on the other hand, is five minutes long. So if you're getting tetchy for the five minutes, that doesn't go against the character of the fifth no. Doctor. It just shows one aspect of his character, yeah. which is all you can pretty much do in five minutes. The point I'm making is we're going to see the first Doctor for 60 minutes. Again, we're not going to see the same number no. of aspects as no. you would have seen across three years. But it is interesting that there's a kind of a folk memory of previous Doctors that's because Troughton is the same. So Troughton, when he came back, was Moffat always about this was a sort of a condensation of what Troughton was in the previous ones. And even David Tennant, when he came back, mm. was sort of the best bits of David Tennant. And that's kind of based on a sort of a reputational memory rather than a direct, a direct inspiration. Does Moffat agree with me? <laughs> well, Patrick asks him, I can say Patrick because I do actually know him. <laughs> Why does the Doctor lend himself to being played by other actors more than any other Doctor? Well, I have a theory on this, which Moffat doesn't really go into. What did he say? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Sorry, the the echo of your name drop was still resounding in my head. I name dropped another journalist. Okay, what did you say? That's not really a name drop, is it? What did he say? Why does the first Doctor lend himself to being played by other actors more than okay. any other Doctor? Okay. And Moffat will talk about the Herndall yeah. thing. But yeah. I, but my answer's slightly different, and I'll give it afterwards. Okay. Moffat says a weird thing happened with the first Doctor. In the five Doctors, which I love, we didn't really remember what Hartnell was like. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because he'd not been on telly for... Mm. Somebody else turned up who didn't look like him or behave like him and wore a strikingly different costume, but was close enough to the general silhouette. Richard Herndall was rather good and very engaging, but the fact is he was not the Hartnell Doctor. But even before that, during the mid-60s, when Hartnell was still the Doctor on TV, we had Peter Cushing in the two Dalek feature films, playing a version of that grandfatherly Doctor. That's different. I adore Peter Cushing, but I think outside the charm circle of the insane, and I mean us and those like us, people don't know that he was the Doctor. They know he was Sherlock Holmes, they knew he was Van Helsing, they don't know who was Doctor Who. And Patrick says, I'm sure at the time they did, there were very popular films in their day. So it was acceptable even in the 60s that you could do that with the character. And Moffat says, yes, but that happened with Quatermass too, who obviously across the course of four series. That's Quatermass T O. Yes. Not Quatermass 2. Just well, pointed both, that out for the audience. Because Quatermass okay. 2 had a different Quatermass yeah. to Quatermass okay. 1, and then yeah. Quatermass 3. Had a different Quatermass again, if I'm remembering yes, yeah, rightly. Yeah, yeah. And then in the fourth one, they had a fourth Quatermass. Yes. That was the same character being recast each mm-hmm. time. Yeah. <clears throat> Moffat says, when something jumps medium, you're more likely to accept a recast. And they rebooted it and made Cushing's Doctor Human. Often, Obviously, that was because it had gone to films instead of TV. 
By the time they made the five doctors, enough time had passed and we weren't so aware of him. I have to say they made an incredibly classy decision to have a clip of William Hartnell introducing it. It weirdly sanctified Richard Herndall taking on the role, as if to say, we're not kidding you on, we're not pretending it's the same man, we acknowledge the original. Oh, and then he comes back to something that um, I was going to address from what we said before, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. If it's the first Doctor, then it's a part that's been written and an actor that has been cast to play a part. Hmm. Therefore, the first Doctor is defined by the character on the page as opposed to defined by the actor who's playing the character because when you move to the second Doctor, you deliberately pick an actor to do it differently. Right. So the second Doctor is defined by your choice of the actor. Mm. Mm. The third Doctor is defined by your choice of the actor. Yeah. But the first Doctor is defined by the part that was written before you cast the actor. Okay. So although the first Doctor, William Hartnell, brings <laughs> an interpretation to the words, the character itself pre-existed the casting. So, so all the other Doctors, just yes. to finish my point, all the other Doctors are about the actor. The first Doctor is about the character. But what's interesting is, <clears throat> with the first Doctor, the character of the first Doctor is different in those first scripted, in those pre-scripted <clears throat> stories. So in An Unearthly Child, the, the first Doctor is different and then softens as he goes along. Which is so true, possibly yeah. possibly that, that is when... Hartnell begins, begins to, to change the shape of the Doctor. And actually yes. that's what Herndall is sort of riffing on. It's not it's not this kind of dark mm. villain, it's almost almost creepy Doctor from an unearthly child. It's more the kind of arc and But that and sort of confirms what I'm saying in that the character itself started on the page yes, and yeah. the actor brings the interpretation. Yes. And yeah. so to my mind, it's equally valid for Richard Herndall to bring an interpretation to that character yeah. and for Peter Cushing to bring an interpretation to that character and for David Bradley to bring an yeah. interpretation to that character because essentially, although they are obviously, it goes without saying, going back to William Hartnell's interpretation of the words, yeah. but beyond that, they're going back to the words. I mean, we've, we're almost sort of suffering from the only the, the very quality that makes Doctor Who such a long series which is regeneration mm -hmm. because the doctor can change his physical form when you recast the same doctor in a different it causes a kind of a cognitive dissonance that it's not a separate regeneration but it's a different actor and we've been pre-programmed to think that different actors playing the doctor must uh, mean different regeneration yeah, yeah. and that's always the tension with Peter Cushing who I quite, I don't really have a problem with the existence of Peter Cushing because as Moffat says, it's a different medium. So when yeah. you change medium, it's kind of all right. So in a comic book, you can have Nick Briggs playing the Doctor and just about get away, even though they tied it in with the series. And um, you know, although television is the same medium, between 1963 and 1983, it changed so much. Yeah. And between 1983 yeah. and now, it's changed yeah. even more again. Hmm. But essentially, although technically it's the same medium, yeah. even the way we receive it is completely different. Yeah. It is... And, you know, James Bond, Quatermass, as he mentions there, yeah. and Zorro, Robin Hood, Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes yeah. 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 Uh, it's a character. If somebody else is going to play it, and the reason that other person's going to play it is because the first person who played it isn't around to play it anymore. Yeah. You shouldn't 
limit the stories you can tell by the people who are available. Do yeah. you? You should tell the story first and foremost, and then, you know, get whoever in to do. And um, just one final point there: if David Bradley's not doing a William Hartnell impersonation, but just doing David Bradley playing the first Doctor, that's better by me than if he's doing a Hartnell impersonation. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because I wouldn't want to watch sixty minutes of somebody impersonating Hartnell. I mean, it's kind of the it's kind of the mission of the showrunners to turn Doctor Who into something like Sherlock Holmes or Tarzan. Well, something it's kind that, of already happened. Be, yeah, now, something yeah. that would be more. And to do that, you have to have moments like this, where you don't treat the past as sacrosanct. You don't <clears> you don't sort of see it as an unbroken text. You have to see it as being something that can be. Rebooted, something that can be changed and shifted and even restarted in a different form. Well, one of the f- weirder complaints about the um, Moffat and Gatiss Sherlock was how modernised it was, you know, given that it takes place in the modern day. They said, you know, you shouldn't do contemporary homes, you should set it in the era when it was set, like all those films set in the 1940s did. Yeah. Because the films that were made in the 1940s updated Sherlock Holmes yes. to the yeah. 1940s. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, but they were they were they they said at the time they were drawing inspiration from Rathbone rather than yeah. rather than Brett. It's, it's interesting what he said about you've got what you you've got what you've got. Use what you've got. Yeah. It's interesting what he said about the nice touch about having Hartnell at the beginning of the Five Doctors as well as a way of sanctifying the performance. Because they've kind of done that with that. There's always been a, there's already been a clip. Is it John Smith that created it? This sort of the YouTube, the YouTube guy, where no, stop that. Oh, I'm about to stop. Stephen Moffat says so much so that in this Christmas special, when it starts, we have Hartnell and the original companions, and then it becomes David Bradley. Yes, that's in the special itself. I was about to say it before Stephen Moffat. <laughs> well, I wanted to bring it back to this okay. because we mentioned okay. that earlier on, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. So we will start with a shot of Hartnell, yeah. Polly and Ben in black and white, and then it will morph into colour. Which, which we've already seen. Yes. We've already mm. seen that mm. clip. Yes, which is it was on the uh, SDCC thing. Quite well done. Yes, it was on the SDCC thing, wasn't it? The SDCC? San Diego Comic Con. Ah, uh, okay. They showed it. That was the clip. I'm sure that okay. was where it came from, wasn't it? I mm. think, yeah, I believe and it was. was. Done, and it was done by the internet guy. The, the the it wasn't done by the special <clears throat> effects in-house team. It was done by I don't know if it's. it's not I'm not 100 percent sure that that's the Smith. thing he did. I've it could seen, be. I've seen an interview where he's talked about the, the I've difficulty heard of Rachel doing Talalay. it. Oh, okay. I've heard her, her talking about using him, but I wasn't yeah, sure that's what I she used I him think for. I, I think I read an interview where he described the sort of challenges of doing it. And, ah, yeah, that's and obviously yeah. he spent a lot longer on trying to get it right and trying to do it just enough not to look really weird yeah, yeah. enough to sort of blend it so you don't really notice the changes and then suddenly you do um, <clears throat> anyway Moffat says so we say here's the original one mm. just as yeah. you had the clip of Hartnell at the start of Five Doctors here is our one and oddly enough don't they look similar Annika's character Polly is in it and Annika self, herself has the line have you got no feelings Obviously, you don't get the change until after you've had a line of dialogue from um, Polly in black and white mm-hmm. before they go into colour. Yeah. Um, it's sort of what he was saying about the five Doctors. People hadn't seen the first Doctor 
for ages, didn't they have in famously the have repeats of the first of the first Doctor? So people will have seen. But they only had repeat of one story. Yeah, mm-hmm. which story was it? An unearthly child. An unearthly child, which oh. is so atypical. Yeah. But, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you really would have had no, much no, of an impression just, of the first Doctor yeah. after. They knew the first Doctor from the books and from the Peter Cushing yeah. films. I mean, I remember as a child not knowing the difference between Richard Herndl and William Hartnell, so I was fine with it. Yeah. Um, I was an interesting quote here, but I'll come back to this bit at the end in a minute. Um, other things about it. Um, uh, they talk about the sets from the 10th planet that have been recreated. Okay. And Moffat says, in the finished cut, you only glimpse the polar base. The only thing that we do more or less in its entirety is when Ben and Polly get the Doctor out of his cage on the Cybermen spaceship and he says it's far from being all over. So I'm guessing this is coming. This is still going to be in the... Uh, this more or less confirms that there's not going to really be anything more of the 10th planet than the previously on Doctor Who bit, really. Yeah. But it's, um, it's far from being all over, is is the regeneration, isn't it? No, That's... he says that before he leaves. Does he? And then he walks across the ice. Okay. I oh, right, think, okay. if I remember right... Or maybe then... maybe it's got sort of condensed in the um, in the sort of clippy, order, the clippy version. But it's because it doesn't exist. And yeah. I think that it's far from being all over is one of the bits that exists as the eight millimeter clip. Yeah, yeah. So oh, that so maybe, tends to get followed gets, by the clip yeah. of the regeneration. Okay, okay. But if I remember rightly, he does the this old body's wearing a bit thin. Oh, doctor, are you going to be okay? It's mm. far from being all over. Yeah. And he stumbles out onto the ice, goes back to the TARDIS, mm. and they go out and look for him, and. Um, I think there's even a bit on the Cyberman spaceship in between there. Or maybe on the Cyberman spaceship is where that scene takes place. Okay. And then they catch up with him at the TARDIS and the regeneration. Um, also, Patrick asks about Gators and Toby Whithouse as the First World War soldiers. Um, Stephen Moffat says, I asked Mark a long time ago to make sure he'd be available and then I I needed another actor to lie in a bomb crater and talk in German. I thought, wouldn't it be great if we got Toby, who is also a very fine actor. So we have the two principals of my writing room sitting with guns drawn on each other. (laughs) Of course, Toby Whithouse was an actor before he was a writer and famously he was in, oh God, one of those period things. What was it? period thing from not the thorn birds but one of those huge period things from the late 70s i think it was okay he had quite a big part in that if i remember rightly um so patrick mulcairn says were you tempted to plonk chris chibnall in there as well and moffat says he and i are not actors so we shouldn't be in it there is a possible world where we could have been corpses if only we had the time and those two, talking about Gators and Warehouse, are terrific actors. And he means that literally, presumably, because they're not actors, they're not in equity. Yeah. So they couldn't... I don't think you need to be in equity be an extra. to be on screen mm. anymore. I don't, really? I don't think you need to be in equity anymore okay, to get so it's lines. Like, it's looser. Okay. I think TV's changed a lot lately. Right. Because the lines have blurred so much now. Yeah. Independent television production has changed things immensely. Mm. Um. Uh, on the subject of Mark Gatiss, there's been a lot of discussion about who his character will be, and the first suggestion that took a lot of traction was that he was going to play the Brigadier's father or grandfather. 
Right, I'm not going to say who he is playing, but I saw a thing. It was in the mirror. It was right. quite widely, or I thought it was, but then it trans. I, and I mentioned it somewhere, and it turned out it hadn't been as widely disseminated as I assumed. So I'm not going to say it here because I'm convinced it's true because I looked up the person that uh, the mirror said he was playing. I think it was the mirror. And yes, they've dressed him and given him a haircut and a moustache and everything else to match this person from history. Okay. And this person from history matches all the criteria, which I shan't repeat in case it triggers things in people's memories that people said about Gatiss's character and who he was going to be in this episode. And so I'm convinced that this is who it will be. And I think it's lovely. And it's also very moffaty to do it. But I think it's a lovely thing. And... Um, I don't think anybody listening to this should have it spoiled by me if they don't already know. Okay. But anyway, I'll tell you too. Do you want to lean in and I'll just whisper? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm quite happy. Um, I mean, you've course. almost told me too, too much because... Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say any more than that on it. But he's not playing the Brigadier's father or grandfather. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it would George be, Lucas, isn't it? I mean, that would be... Tricky, be... tricky and quite silly mm. to try and connect it up because yeah. you couldn't then have like a cutaway scene where it shows it shows the future of, of him giving birth or being the father of... there, or it would just be a sort of had to be a clunky line of dialogue mm. where he says oh yes I'm Captain I'm going to have a son Stewart. in five years yeah. called Alistair yeah, yeah. Oh, really just... your surnames yeah so uh, I just couldn't see how they could shoehorn that in I'm not sure well, yes, I am. We'll leave it, the other okay. thing. Okay, moving out of that entirely. Um, and this is another one. This is... Oh, you know, for the past seven years, it gets you go just how many things are laid at Stephen Moffat's door. He's to blame for this. He's to blame for that. He's to blame for the other. Anything I don't like, it's all Stephen Moffat's fault. <clears throat> and so, oh, bringing back the first Doctor and having him played by David Bradley, that's got to be Stephen Moffat's fault, right? Peter Capaldi, of course, being the good guy in this scenario, because Peter Capaldi is the big Doctor Who fan who'd never do anything to upset canonicity and stuff. How far back, says uh, Patrick Mulcairn, did you plan to bring back the first Doctor? In the last series, there seemed to be a lot of references. For a start, you named the companion Bill, and her girlfriend was Heather, like Bill Hartnell and his wife Heather. And Moffat says, oh, that was a happy accident, absolutely accidental. He says, I wasn't especially building towards the return of the First Doctor. In fact, available on videotape is the exact moment where it became possible. At the New York Comic Con last year, which would be 2016, I guess, someone was asking me about which Doctors I wanted to be in the day of the Doctor. And the Doctor you'd really like to meet, the modern Doctor, is the William Hartnell Doctor, because he's moved on so much, and because that would be the entire span of the character's life. The first Doctor would be so shocked that he is going to become this strutting megalomaniac. And so I said, but we can't do it, obviously, because William Hartnell's no longer with us. And Peter Capaldi said, well, we could get David Bradley. So, yeah. <clears throat> Casting David Bradley as the first Doctor and having the first Doctor in Peter Capaldi's swan song was an idea that originated with Peter Capaldi. I haven't heard a huge backlash. I mean, I've heard trepidation about the idea, but I haven't heard a huge 
backlash, but then it's been pretty much drowned out by the backlash about Jodie Whittaker. Whittaker yeah. So I guess bringing back David Bradley is sort of like chicken feed <laughs> compared to... I know, there are certain places where if you go and have a look, it's just like a oh. swarm of... It's good that I don't go to those certain places then. Yeah. I mean, I don't very often, but I'll check in every mm. now and again because yeah. I think as the host of the podcast, it's kind of, you should have your finger on the button a bit. It's like me with Ian Levine on Twitter. I don't actually follow him, but I occasionally look at what is, or Donald Trump. I, don't, I just occasionally <laughs> look to see what he's been saying and then I, then I leave. <laughs> um, any more thoughts on Twice Upon a Time? Anything that anybody would want to see or expect to see, maybe, beyond what we've talked about? Well, coming back to uh, questionable comedy, the fact that you've got three older mm. lead roles, it takes us back to Last of the Summer Wine, doesn't it? Well, at least we've got Bill as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is. No, yeah. no, it's... Um... I just but hearing, you know what? hearing that little rundown from you at the start though, I, it pressed all my emotional buttons straight no. away. And I just thought, oh, this is going to be lovely. So, you know what though, kids? Everything presses your emotional buttons. It does, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's gaining yeah, its age, isn't it? Kids either like to watch other kids, generally slightly older ones. So ten-year-olds will tend to watch sort of twelve-year-olds stories with twelve-year-olds, that sort of thing. Something you, sort of an aspirational thing. The other thing that I think they like. Is old people, because old people, you know, sort of once you get beyond retirement age, there's sort of a bit of a transgression going on where you have the freedom of time to indulge yourself. Mm. So I think kids like seeing the older people because they're able to indulge themselves, whereas the people in between mm. are the people who have to hold down the jobs and earn the money and put the roof above your head and mm. the food on the table. So I think older people... And so we're talking... Respect does skip a generation, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. So I think... It's like... Um, I can imagine characters like Victor Meldrew being very popular amongst kids because he just... He has no... Or, or as Simon was saying, Last of the Summer Wine is the kind yeah. of the urtext for it because they are children <clears throat> and well, they're old people. And it's the same with Doctor Who. I used Who. to love Last of the Summer Wine when I yeah, was like yeah. 10. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. early series were great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this is what Doctor Who is. So he's an old person, but he's also a child. Yeah, and that's that's the definition. I mean, Doctor Who is God help us, Last of the Summer Wine, but with Daleks. And I'm not a big fan of Last of the Well, first couple of series were yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah, and I liked it when I was a child. I just started finding it a bit nightmarish. Yes, as it as it went along, because it just had that kind of well, it characters, characters yeah. like all sitcoms for me. It's characters trapped in a situation. It's only Porridge that's honest about it. Porridge is a sitcom about characters literally trapped in a situation. Other sitcoms are just characters trapped in a flat in New York. Or and like many sitcoms, the, and... the characters tend to be slightly more archetypes than real. Yeah. So once you've gone two or three series, you are just repeating is, the same thing. Which is why the best sitcom on at the moment is The Detectorists, because it's about characters who are who are moving on from their situation. And they change each year, and it's about their characters, and they're not archetypes, they're actually individual characters. Okay. That's the detectorists. Anyways, uh, I tried watching it this week, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. But it didn't make me laugh. Did you watch the first episode, or did you, how many episodes did you I'd watch? I'd watched the first couple, Yeah, and then I haven't watched it's it, a, and then I watched it, one of the episodes of, of Series 3. Okay, it's a slow, it's a, it's a, slow, it's a burn. slow burn. Yeah. And it is, you get into the characters, and then you suddenly find their quirks. Yeah. Very well. 
it's not a very very funny sitcom it's not a sort of a mm. a, 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 a craft of laugh every five no. seconds sitcom no it's more a kind of a it's more slow burning than that mm. but it gets under your skin I think if you watch enough but then I speaking love, of slow I burning love things shit. that get under your skin we ought to do our review of the emoji movie oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt was there anything you wanted to see from Twice Upon a Time no let's talk about the emoji movie no before we do the emoji okay. movie let's do the top 10 of top 10s okay oh, cool well we only had a cool. <laughs> uh, well, but I said I'd do this yes. for a bit of fun because okay. it's the last episode before Christmas but we obviously had 10 top 10s so I threw the 10 winners in onto the Facebook group and said, right, vote on this lot. And only a handful of people did. But I think, despite the fact that only a few people voted, you still get a good sense of... You're kind of distilling down the... I don't know what the word is. Well, essentially, you get to find out what our listeners and us, because we, most of us voted as well, our favourite bits of Doctor Who are. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Basically, it's just one favourite bit. I'm not going to do the whole tip, top ten because I will agree with um, just Colin Baker on this occasion. I don't want to say what came last. But I'll do the top five. In fifth place was The Day of the Doctor, Ooh. which oddly came above Genesis of the Daleks. Although I think it's a better story, I slightly imagine Genesis would beat it. Partly because the top four is, in reverse order, season 13, Robert Holmes, Sarah Jane Smith and Tom Baker. <laughs> so the entire fo- top four is 1975, in other words. I think that's so probably Lee's brain, isn't it? Didn't we, when, we, when we were doing the voting. When we were doing yeah, the, that's what Lee went messaging. for. He just yeah. put one, 1975, two, 1975, three, 1975, <laughs> until he got down to seven and he'd yeah. run out of 1975. <laughs> um, but yeah... I mean, I wasn't going to talk about it, but I mean, a couple of the, the fact that all four things are from the same year, essentially, mm. uh, it just spells it out more than ever that that was Doctor Who's golden period, and not just nostalgia, but it still is regarded as Doctor Who's golden period. I think this period we've just had now will be in twenty years' time. But that's when the uh, people who consider the 1970s have died off and this generation have become our generation in 20, 25 years' time. Imagine how popular you'll be with the children in 25 years' time. Having said that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, then, the Emoji Movie. What did you think of it, Simon? Trying to draw back memories from it, I can't remember a lot, a huge amount about it. To I me, not being quite as bad as I thought it was going to be, but then I thought it was going to be pretty bad. Yeah, when you go in, actually the review, when it was in the movies and stuff, let's give it a 1 out of 10. And it wasn't a 1 out of it 10. It wasn't a 1 out of 10. But yeah. I only gave it a 3, I think. I thought it was trying to do something similar to what Tron had done for a new generation mm. and for a younger generation. Mm. But I think it missed what it was it that made Tron trick. work. There was no... See, what it is, is you've got the internal life in the phone, mm. which is like where Jeff Bridges goes into the computer, yeah. and you've got the external life with the kid, mm. but the twain never meet. No. no. And that's the trick is missed, that neither story gives you any reason to care about the other one. Mm. So you don't. You end up not caring you've about either. You've got the either. beginning of the journey, you've got the end of the journey. But you've got no journey. And there was no journey, yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. 
Yeah. And uh, even the... Um, and this is the thing. It, it was not an unreasonable idea. Mm. But they just didn't do anything with the idea. The visuals weren't as interesting, as imaginative, as Tron was 35 years ago, or whatever it is. I'll tell you what else is... The, the resolution, which I won't go into in this... In case somebody wants to watch it. <laughs> and what's the surprise at the end? But the resolution, I thought, where it was, could have been quite clever in as much as it was talking about, it was, I thought, is it, oh, is it actually saying people shouldn't lose themselves in the social media world and emojis because life is more complex than that? But, but in actually, the end, it turns it on was, It wasn't. It was, it was just... They were trying to make a, a novelty kind of resolution to it. It wasn't yeah, saying yeah. any of those things, and I was reading all of that into it yeah, in my yeah. head and thinking, "No, actually, it isn't all that." It's like seeing your dog, like balancing a plate on its head. Yeah. You think, "Oh, isn't that dog clever?" No, the dog's just well. This, happened to have the a message plate of balance. the film seems to be emojis are a bit like people, but but they've turned people into emojis. Yeah, sort of. It's just facile and ridiculous and pointless. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I think when I watch these movies, though, is just the same when I hear really terrible soundtracks on these <coughs> animated movies, I think of all those man hours and all that genius of putting those animated movies together that look beautiful, and then you spread a layer of... Nothing. Okay, or, really. or even... You're going to use the SHIT word. Yeah. You spread the a layer of, of talking poo over it. Over the top <laughs> of it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of those things... And I've done a few animated movies lately, and most of them have been flops. This was the biggest success of all the ones I've reviewed. And the other ones weren't animated to the same level of um, budget, I guess, as this Mm. one was. But I thought all of the rest of the other ones I've reviewed have all been better because they used their imagination a bit more. Mm. And they gave you an evocation of a place and a time and character and things like that. Whereas this, uh, the James Corden character, there was one point in the film where I suddenly oh, thought... God, James Corden. Yeah, but he started off, mm. his character starts off, you can hear it in his voice, he's thinking, this will be fun. Mm. And about halfway through the movie, there's a point where you suddenly realise that James Corden's got bored with it and can't be bothered anymore. Mm. And his voice just gets more and more irritated <laughs> as he becomes less and less inclined <laughs> to give the character any sense of reality. It's yeah. just bizarre. Yeah. And on that little note, Merry Happy Christmas, Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Star Wars tomorrow. Yes. My you're, first midnight showing. Uh, yeah. So I'll probably be asleep. No, you won't. You won't. The adrenaline will kick in. I, maybe. No, I, I just want to know where the extra 15 minutes has come from. We've had eight movies and they've all been within three minutes of each other in length or something and this one all of a sudden is 15 minutes longer and it's oh. pissing me off. This is going to wow. be the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm. The one that doesn't fit in the same slot in the TV schedules. The one where you have to allow an extra 15 minutes if you're doing a... Uh, okay. <clears throat> you know, if you're watching one a night on DVD or whatever. I don't know. I know very right. little about this movie, if I'm honest. Me too. I, I, mean, imagine, I imagine if you're a hardcore fan, you've probably intuited quite a lot. Yeah. About what might come up. I'm not. I've no idea. Mm. So it'd be good. 
I've seen the trailer. It looks fun. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the first trailer. Yeah. Well, I don't know anything. I've never been a fan either. I'm guessing this is Luke teaches. Can't even remember a name. The Ray. Girl, Ray. Ray. Luke mm-hmm. teaches Ray the ways of the Jedi. Mm. I'm guessing. I the think only rumors I've heard is about that might be the premise, but it might not be the theme. <laughs> Touche, but true. Well, presumably it wouldn't, because it wasn't no, the theme yeah, of Empire yeah. Strikes Back, was it? There's rumors of certain characters going dark, isn't there? The trailer sort of plays with that a bit, mm. where you don't quite know if a certain character is going dark or not. Mm. And I wonder if that might be a. It's talking a about one of the, of the two main characters. Uh, yeah. Well, the yeah. thing is, this happened with Return of the Jedi. I remember that. There was um, a, quite a large newspaper article about. Han where, Solo? No, where they uh, did an exclusive story where most of the main characters were going to be killed off in Return of the Jedi. Oh, really? I seem to recall that there was one thing that said that when Han Solo woke up, he would want to take his revenge on the others for not saving him from going into the ice thing. Oh, that's a bit clever, isn't it? Yeah, but to me, that's not Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. And the good characters shouldn't go bad, because Star Wars should retain that simplicity Mm. at its core. Yeah, because if Luke were to go bad, which is what a lot of people are talking about, then that undermines his whole... Yeah. Battle in Return of the Jedi. And it just basically then turns him into bloody Anakin from yeah. the prequel trilogy. Mm. And, and it infers that the dark side is... More powerful than the light side. The, yeah. the, the, the light side, whatever it's called. The, what is it called? Force? Yeah, no, the dark side and the... Light side. Yeah. Yes. Well, this... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just sounded silly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course it sounds silly. It's bloody Star Wars, isn't it? <laughs> Um, alright then. Shall we sing a Christmas song? Nope. Alright then. Um, next week, there'll be something completely different. And the week after that, we will be reviewing Twice Upon a Time. Until then, I was Matt. I was Simon. I was JR. And we'll speak again soon. Right. <laughs> Join in. Right.